and welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about someone impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPL and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Bill Hunter, the CEO of Canary Medical. Bill, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Great. Well, thanks for participating. Um, you know, let's start off right at the at the beginning. Tell us what uh, Canary Medical does and, and, you know, how you're involved in the uh, medical device industry. Sure. Um, so Canary is one of those simple ideas, I guess, really, that turns out to be a lot more complicated to do in practice, but the idea is not overly complex. Um, it just occurred to us that, uh, you know, we live in a world where our refrigerator is connected to the Internet, but life-saving medical devices are not. Um, and so the mission of the business was to look at, you know, important critical medical devices and try and find a way to connect them uh, so that doctors and patients and, you know, healthcare providers in general would, would have a way of, of keeping track of their patients and keeping track of, of how they're progressing, you know, after their surgery or intervention. So is this – so the technology itself, are you uh, – is it a, a, the monitoring system, or is it uh, the, the hybrid of the monitoring system incorporated into uh, medical devices? It's, it's kind of a hybrid of, the, uh, of both, right? So, uh, you know, a monitoring system, of course, is essential, but you have to have something to monitor. Uh, so when we first started the, the company, we, we really had to go back to first principles. So we, we had to design implants that you know were capable of of communicating and so you know what we we started with and we've progressed a long way over the last almost 10 years now but what we started with was a, an implant with an implant idea so our most advanced design is a a talking knee and one of the reasons we started with a knee was because the device is relatively large and we needed the space right and, and there were parts of the device where we could make changes to the to it without changing the structural integrity. So to make a really long story short, we took the part of the knee that's called the, the tibial extension. So the basically the stem of the knee that goes into the lower lower limb and, and holds it in place. It's not weight bearing, but it holds it in place. And that was a, a solid hunk of metal that was non weight bearing. So we were able to hollow it out and then convert it into a communicating uh, device and we did that by putting in a power source, which turned out to be, you know, good old-fashioned pacemaker battery. Putting in transmission technology, which was, um, you know, the micro semi radio system that's that's used by pacemakers to communicate. And then we used the power source to power a bunch of sensors, 3D gyroscopes, 3D accelerometers, you know, step counters, stuff like that. And we used the transmission technology to transmit out. And turns out that the power draws are so low and the batteries are so good now that we could pull, you know, 20 years of data off that device with wow. nothing to charge, nothing to wear. Um, you know, the patient really didn't have to do much. So in answer to your question, first we had to make, you know, go to a knee and, and you know, trick it up, for lack of a better term, so that it could communicate with the outside world. And then, you know, to your second point, we, we had to build all the infrastructure around that, a way to communicate it from the home to the, 
to the internet, you know, a way to process that data, analyze that data, and send it back to the doctor and the patient every day. So it was it was really a hybrid of both um, that that turned it into reality. And as I'm I'm sure you're well aware at this point, you know, the knee implant uh, uh, segment is is pretty crowded. Um, obviously, yep. your offering is a little more unique than your standard knee implant, but mm-hmm. how you know how is it competing in that industry as as you know essentially a smaller a smaller developer of these smart implants? What's it like competing in that industry? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know you've got three or four really dominant players in that space um, that have been you know the go-to uh, companies for you know, a generation or more now. And we didn't think that we could, you know, penetrate that market. And so what we did was go to Zimmer Biomet, um, you know, the arguably the biggest knee manufacturer in, in North America, and, mm-hmm. uh, say, and say, hey, look, we, we can take part of your product, we can modify your product, uh, to turn that into a, you know, a talking me, and um, they were very forward thinking, and and uh, they they embraced that idea, and so we actually worked on the Persona Me, which uh, is is Zimmer's flagship knee product, and we took one component of that knee, which was the tibial extension, and converted that into the smart device. So a surgeon basically puts in a Persona Me. And instead of using a plain metal stem, they use the, the smart stem. And if they do that, that converts the entire knee into, you know, what is called Persona IQ. So do you have a, a competitive, you know, do you have a competitive implant that you also market? Or are you move, have you moved to a, a model where you're working or you're trying to work with, you know, more established OEMs, you know, to incorporate this type of technology? Yeah, so, you know, the the vision of the business is to do this in all kinds of different areas. Um, and each each product has its own dynamics. As, as you alluded to, the knee market, really well-established, major players, highly evolved technology, highly evolved, uh, you know, market access, quite frankly, you know, big sales forces, um, you know, a, a, a very... Uh, significant interaction between the, the rep and the, the clinician. In those types of situations where the product is proprietary or the market's difficult to access, our plan is to just partner with a company that makes that device. So, you know, mm-hmm. we'd probably do the same thing with a coronary stent or a heart valve or something like that. On the other hand, there are other devices where, you know, the, the device either is pretty routine, not particularly proprietary, or we can make an implant that doesn't have to be physically attached to the device. In those situations, those are places where we could go alone. So in aneurysm, for example, we build a device that doesn't attach to anything, so we can make that on our own. We make a, a, a screw product where we can turn a, you know, pretty much a, a, most screws into smart screws. And again, that's something that we don't necessarily have to partner. So it's a bit of a hybrid model. Sometimes we partner, and you know, sometimes the plan is to develop it ourselves. Right, right, and you know, when it comes to when it comes to implants, 
you know, we've been hearing drips and drabs, and there's been there's mm-hmm. been promises of smart implants for for quite some time, and you know, with yeah. few exceptions, we haven't really seen much innovation yeah. in that space. Is there a reason, you know, why this is such a, a slowly developing area? That, or you know, based on your product and your experience, can yeah. you speak to that at all? Yeah, sure. So. You know, one of the, I, I think really the, one of the most pioneering products was uh, the CardioMEMS technology that was mm-hmm. developed uh, to, to monitor aneurysms. And, mm-hmm. you know, the initial device, very forward thinking, but it was, it was also pretty big and pretty kludgy, which, which had nothing to do with the engineering of the product and had everything to do with where technology stood at that point in time. So if we had tried to build a talking knee 15 years ago, we just wouldn't have had the, the hardware available to do it. But mm-hmm. battery chemistry has gotten so good, you know, this, the so-called, you know, MEMS technology, the sensors have gotten really, really small. The amount of power they require has dropped dramatically. All these things have happened so that you can get smaller and smaller and smaller. So by the time we were building our knee, you know, we had something that was the size of, you know, a AAA battery. And, and we could, you know, we then had the space to put into a knee. Well, even for us, that was five years ago that we were working on, on that product. Right. We are now working on, we're, we're now working on an implant that goes into a brain aneurysm that's only a millimeter cubed in size. So I think what you're seeing is that the technology had to catch up. And so now we actually have the tools to make things small enough to do this. And, and so... It wasn't, you know, entirely just a lack of innovation. There, there was a, there was certainly a, a gap in technology, and and that field is growing so fast now that the tools are now available to do things we just couldn't do five or six years ago. Right. So it's so it's really a a matter of you know it's the same situation with you know why a cell phone is has shrunk in size yep. or gotten more powerful. Yep. It's kind of the same the same reasoning as, as that. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of like Moore's law in in med tech, which is that you know power consumption is dropping, you know, almost every three years. So that allows right. you to just get smaller and smaller. Yep. And what uh you know you you're definitely you've definitely mentioned things beyond you know orthopedic implants and specifically mm-hmm. the knee. Um, you know what other areas are you looking at? What what's you know what's beyond the, the smart knee with Zimmer Biomed, or what potentially is beyond? Yeah, so, you know, first and foremost, you know, we, we expect to launch that knee very, very shortly. And, you know, just to pause for a little bit on that, I mean, we think that's going to be a, a pretty revolutionary technology. I mean, you know, one of the things we know in orthopedics is that you know, if your patients are active, if they ambulate, if they, you know, put the joint through a full range of motion, that they tend to, to get good outcomes. If they're inactive or, you know, they're restricted because they're in pain or, you know, whatever the case may be, they tend to get bad outcomes. So we believe that this continuous monitoring in orthopedics, you know, really could be not just a curiosity, but, but something that could drive better patient care and and could drive better outcomes. Um, you know, maybe we can circle back to it later, but, you know, we even think that we can take that data to predict complications, things like infection, things like, you know, uh, 
uh, scar contracture or loosening. We, we believe that the technology is robust enough to even give docs insight into, you know, um, the potential for, for side effects arising in their patients. So I think there's a lot to be done there. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, next steps are to, to do the same thing in, in hips or in shoulders or, or partial knees, and that's, you know, obviously a, a huge part of the business. Um, I'm, I'm from a vascular background. A big part of, of my team is from a, a vascular background. You know, we believe that, that vascular implants, heart valves, stents, aneurysm treatments, that being able to monitor those type of cardiovascular patients would be truly game-changing. So cardiovascular is, is a huge uh, interest of ours outside of orthopedics. You, so you mentioned some definitely some interesting aspects with the orthopedic implants, such as, you know, being able to potentially detect, you know, infection and, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, perhaps device fracture or, you know, loosening, you know, some of the, some of the things you mentioned. Yep. Uh, do you foresee that, uh, you know, applying to other things like the cardiovascular, say a stent, you know, would it measure uh, the, the patient, um, you know, health uh, and not just uh, factors around the stent? In other words, you know, would it look at maybe, you know, do you foresee at some point maybe, you know, blood pressure readings or maybe even glucose mm -hmm. readings and, you know, just... You know, the, the, I know the sen along with the battery, the sensors are getting smaller and smaller yep. as well. So I, yep. I would imagine yep. so long as your form factor works, what you're able to put in there to sense and detect and monitor is, is you know, almost limitless. Yeah, and, you know, you're, you're really you're opening up a lot of interesting areas of, of discussion. So first, you're absolutely right about sensors. Um, in fact, the sensors that we use in the knee were initially developed for drones. <laughs> so it's, it's wow. a guidance system from a drone. So 3D accelerometers, 3D gyroscopes. Um, as you can imagine, those, uh, those drones know exquisitely where they are in three space. And so, mm -hmm. you know, orthopedics is about movement in three space, right? So that, that's, you know, an obvious thing. There are, you know, tiny ultrasound type devices now. There are actually pressure and flow meters that were developed for the oil and gas industry. So they're incredibly robust, you know, where they would go into wells, you know, well below ground and, and are very robust and able to measure, measure things in, in other areas. So yes, the whole world is, is coming up with sensor technology that can be medicalized. And, and you know, that's, that's really feeding this whole innovative part. You know, back, back to your question about stents, um, you know, when I was a kid, my, my first company was a company called Angiotech, and we were the ones who developed the Paclitaxel stent, the Taxa stent for Boston Scientific and the Zillow uh, PTX for, for, uh, for Cook and, you know, drug-eluting balloons. That was, that was kind of our, our thing back in the 90s. And, um, you know, that was, you know, at one point we probably had, 60, 70% of the world's stent market with, with Boston Scientific. And, and that was really a, you know, a, a quantum change in, in stenting. I believe that if you could measure pressure and flow off of a stent, or a stent graph for that matter, you know, everything else is, is mathematics. You'd be able to tell whether that stent was open or closed. If it was closed, what percent would be closed? You know, if you could do that type of thing, if you could have a, a patient come in 
with chest pain in the emergency room and you had a way of knowing that their scent was, you know, 90% closed or 100% open, you, med- you know, you, you treat that patient totally differently, right? So I think this is an obvious next step in cardiovascular. And, uh, you know, I think it will be a little tougher to do in orthopedics because it's smaller. You know, there's some, some challenges there, but it's an obvious next step in, in vascular to, to be able to look at the functioning of, of a heart valve or the functioning of a coronary stent. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm already getting an impression of, of the answer to my next question, but, you know, it, it, it seems like, you know, we're not far from the capability to truly make just about any implant that goes into the body, not, you know, we're typically, you know, we, we know that pacemakers have become, you know, smart right. and um, drug right. delivery right. is smart. But, yep. you know, it, it sounds like we're not far off from just literally any implant, regardless of size, regardless of purpose, uh, you know, being made to be smart where it can both monitor the patient, whether it be a rehab situation or yep. you know, or or uh, the 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 actual health of the implant itself. You know, making sure it's not breaking down or there's not yep. damage or like you said with the orthopedic yep. implant loosening. Uh, you know, are, how far are we from you know really any any device any implant being made smart? Yeah, well, you know, hopefully we'll have smart orthopedic implants in the very near future, you know, that will be a step to to go with with pacemakers and and the rest. You know, it's always hard to predict the future, but I I would say to you that I can't imagine that 10 years from now, we're not going to have, you know, almost everything self-reporting, right? I mean, these are, not only are these incredibly expensive devices that in many cases require open surgery or very sophisticated interventional procedures to put in. So, you know, these are, you know, high value um, uh, devices. And for the last, you know, it's been a while since I was in practice, but, you know, ever since I started in medicine, you know, we put this stuff in, we close the skin and that's it, right? We, if, if we have a problem now, we have to rely on MRI or CT or, you know, x-ray or whatever to try and figure out what's going on with the device. How valuable right. is it to have that device be able to provide you with feedback of any sort, right? I mean, even, even the most simplistic feedback is better than what we have right now, which is no feedback. But to your, to your point, the ability to say, hey, you know, this thing is bent or broken or, you know, failing or infected, these are things that having any type of detection system on board is going to be better than, you know, using some sort of secondary diagnostic. You know, information directly from the source is always going to have, you know, more value than trying to figure things out by triangulating with with other types of diagnostics. Right. And it, and it yeah, it sounds like you know if you're able to to uh, resolve an issue or a potential issue a whole lot sooner if you know that you know, like you said, from the source, you're you're hearing, oh, okay, this is starting to to bend or there's there's an issue here right. or you know um you know the the physician would be able to obviously act a lot sooner than you know hey i'm having a pain here uh you right. know it, it might be a problem um, let me let me give you a, let me let me give you an example of that right so 
you know, I told you that we, we have these gyroscopes and accelerometers that are physically sitting inside the persona knee implant, right? So mm-hmm. first off, they're cemented in place. So they are reading from the same place in the same person day after day, month after month, year after year, right? So you are comparing apples to apples every day, right? Um, it's all done passively so that the patient doesn't really have to think about it. The doctor doesn't have to do anything. There's no test to be ordered. So you're getting, mm-hmm. you know, a pretty reliable data stream. Well, you know, back to the sensors themselves, these sensors are picking up and, and, and detecting at 800 observations per second. If you're wow. watching something, you're only, your eye is only detecting things at 25 observations per second. So right. that device inside the knee is not just collecting macroscopic information. So how are you walking? What's your stride length, your cadence, your distance traveled, your step count, all that kind of macroscopic movement. So you have an idea of how well your patient's doing. You have an idea if your patient's limping or walking normally because you can actually, you know, quote unquote, see the trajectory of the limb and, and, and how it's functioning. But we're also detecting how that implant is moving within the bone. Is it, you know, solidly in place? Is it healed in place? Is it starting to loosen? Is it vibrating? You know, or is it, you know, firmly, firmly uh, encased? These are things mm-hmm. that we can see, right? So if, if we have early signs of loosening or if an infection is developing and we have a biofilm so that the device isn't firmly anchored, these are the types of things that when you have enough experience, and by that I, I don't mean as a company, I mean you have enough data collected from enough patients, you have enough patient experience, you can subject right. that to machine learning and you can come up with ideas you know, that, we're, that will act like diagnostics. So, you know, this patient is recovering in a way that's consistent with normal recovery. Excellent, you know, that, that certainly helps me with my patient management. Or, gee, you know, mm-hmm. the pattern I'm seeing from this patient is suggestive of a developing infection. Maybe this is somebody I need to work up. And so I think that data goes initially to just observation and then becomes, you know, diagnostic and then maybe even ultimately prognostic as we learn more and more about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it'll certainly be a fantastic time because the more information, the better. Um, but unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Bill Hunter, CEO of Canary Medical, for sharing you know, the uh, information about his technologies and what he's doing in the orthopedic and device space, the patient monitoring space, really. Uh, and as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener. This has been Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO, saying thanks for listening.